Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grace Fellowship. We are so glad that you've made the choice to be in worship today. We're so glad that you're here. You know, I think you'll agree, we live in a world where there's a lot of personal pain because the struggle of life is very, very real. Just listen to the news. Read the periodicals. Go on social media. And what you'll find is that there are crimes and atrocities and diseases and maladies and tragedies happening all over the world, and we don't need to look far because they're happening right here locally. And I'm sure you have your own story of pain or misfortune to tell. In fact, some of us have hidden hurts that others have long since forgotten. One wise preacher counseled a young preacher, look, preach to the hurting and you will never lack for an audience. Well, I'm not just trying to get an audience today, but I do want to focus on Jesus as the caring friend who is a friend to the grieving. He is a friend to anyone who's going through troubled times and anguish. And if that's you today, I, I'm so glad you're here because we're going to look at a passage from Luke's gospel, chapter 7, where we see an example of how Jesus stepped into a troubled situation and literally made a radical difference. And here's the thing I know, while the details of your grief and your struggle may be different, Jesus loves you just as you are. And he can make a difference in your life too. So let's get started. Luke chapter 7, we're going to begin here in verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. So you've got a mom here, and this is her only son who has died, and she was a widow. So this is her only child. He had no siblings. There's nobody else in the family. She has no husband, no son, no one to care for her. And a large crowd from the town was with her. Now this woman was obviously in deep anguish. She's already lost her husband and go, gone through the anguish and the loneliness and desperation of that. But now her only son passes away. What a terrible tragedy. I wish we knew more detail. We don't know if it was a prolonged illness or if it happened suddenly, but one thing is for sure, her pain must have been excruciating. But what I'm about to share with you makes the situation even more poignant in my mind. You see, unlike some of the nations around them, like Egypt and others, the Jewish people did not practice embalming. So in other words, when someone passed away, the burial happened within 24 hours. And so think about this. In the matter of one day, one 24-hour period, this woman's life has caved in. She's now all alone in an era when there's no government assistance to provide for her. She has this empty void in her life because the son that she loved is now dead. 
Now, I've not experienced it myself. But I've concluded after many years of ministry and dealing with families in grief that perhaps, perhaps the greatest grief of all is the loss of a child. You just don't expect that. It, it seems not to be the natural order. We expect that those who are older to die first. And so when you lose a child, I think there's a particular void and a particular grief that comes with that. Because the thing is, I think you'll agree, parents will do almost anything for their children. There's a bond of love there that is unique. It is incredibly strong. Have you ever watch young parents take their small children out to a playground? And they're so excited. Maybe the child is getting on a merry-go-round for the first time and They'll put the child lovingly on the merry-go-round and then kind of give it a push and it goes around and here he goes around. And they wave and the child waves and smiles. And then the child goes around again and a few seconds later he comes around and they act like they haven't seen him in a long time and they're waving again at their child. It's humorous. It's funny to watch. But it just highlights how in love parents are with their children and they'll do almost anything for them. <clears throat> I read about a mother who was surprised by her seven-year-old who one morning made her a cup of coffee. He had never done that before. Just a seven-year-old little guy and it, she said it was the worst cup of coffee she had ever had. But uh, she drank that coffee down and she was surprised to see that in the bottom of her coffee cup, there were these little green soldiers. And she said to her son, son, why, what are these little army people doing in the bottom of my cup? And he excitedly said, well, mom, it's just like it says on TV. The best part of waking up is soldiers in your cup. <laughs> well, I'm sure that this woman we're reading about today had just been as excited about her son as any parent in this place. He had probably made her some tea and it didn't taste very good, but she drank it. She had laughed at his antics. She had sewed clothes for him, stayed up with him and nursed him when he was sick, perhaps gone to his programs at the synagogue, cheered him on in life, and all of a sudden, he dies. Immediately following her daughter's funeral in the movie Steel Magnolias, May Lynn, the central character in the movie, says to the friends who've come to comfort her, I don't think I can take this. I don't think I can take this. I just want to hit somebody till they feel as bad as I do. I just want to hit something. I want to hit it hard. And I'm sure that's the way this mother in our story today felt. But I guess if there's any consolation in this story, it's that apparently she did have a number of friends and caring neighbors who show up. At the end of verse 12, it says a large crowd from the town was with her. Someone said... A joy shared is a double joy. 
but a grief shared is half a burden. And at least she has some friends who help carry her burden here, but there's a limit to how much friends can help. She knew the reality. She knew that the time would come when her friends would need to go back home, go back to work, go back to their routine, because that's the way it works, and she would be all alone again. Now, you know, there's something that happens here in the story today that I think is pretty typical of us when we're going through hard times or grief. Two crowds meet, two separate crowds going in opposite directions. They met each other. One was a funeral procession, and the other was a festive celebration. The people in the funeral procession were stricken by grief, and they meet a group surrounding Jesus who's full of excitement and anticipation because this celebrity has come, this miracle worker has come to their little town of Nain. And so they're excited about that. And you know something I've observed? When you hurt deeply because of some loss, there will always be some people around you who just don't get it and who may seem to be insensitive to your pain. A young mother has a miscarriage and she's deeply depressed. And a few days later, unknowingly, a friend of hers will brag about the cutest little thing that her child did. And the loneliness and the depression of this grieving mother almost verges on resentment. Or you're riding in the family car in a funeral procession and you pass kids who are playing on the playground. You pass construction workers who go right on building. Or someone zooms around your funeral procession to get to a meeting. And you're reminded, you know what? The world's going to go on. With or without my loved one. And even your friends at the funeral will soon be back to their routine in a few weeks and they will forget. Tony Campolo used to talk about your friends at your funeral. And he'd say, yeah, they're going to come to your funeral and they're going to be moaning and some of them will shed some tears and they'll be talking, oh, it'd never be the same. We're going to miss them so much. We don't know how we're going to get along without this person. And he said, an hour later, they'll be back at somebody's house laughing and eating potato salad. And that's exactly the way it works. Life goes on. And so when you hurt, friends, you discover that a whole bunch of people just aren't hurting as deeply as you. And so you really need a caring friend who understands. As C.S. Lewis, the great Oxford scholar and writer, as his wife was passing away from a fatal disease, he made this statement. He wrote this in his journal, I need Christ. I need Christ, not someone who resembles him. And when you're hurting, you need Jesus, not just people who represent Jesus or who are your friends. He alone can bear your griefs and carry your sorrows. So in the midst of this woman's anguish, I want you to see now the compassion 
of Jesus Christ to her. Verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Don't cry. Now, I love all the words in this story. It's such a powerful story. But I love that phrase that says, the Lord saw her. Imagine that. He's got basically a party going on around it. A festive celebration. People are having a great time. But he's so sensitized to the person in need that he sees this woman. He sees her pain and depression and emptiness. And his heart is is moved. Boy, that's impressive. Probably many around him were oblivious to her or they even resented that a funeral procession would interfere with their joyous parade. But Jesus had compassion. The Bible says his heart went out. William Barclay, the British scholar, writes, there is no stronger word in the Greek language for sympathy than the one used here to describe Jesus. And it was used frequently about Jesus. And you know why his heart went out to her? Because he is a man of sorrows himself and acquainted with grief, Scripture says. And I want to tell you something, friend. One of the reasons that Jesus is such a great friend, a caring friend when we grieve, is that he understands. The Bible says we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And I want you to know today, and I hope this encourages you, he really understands what you're going through. And when you can wrap your mind around that, when you can really accept and embrace the fact that Jesus gets where you are, he understands you, (coughs) he knows your pain, it really begins to make an incredible difference in the way we approach life. His heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. You know, I'm amazed at how different the God of the Bible is than the God in the popular imagination of many people. You know what I'm talking about? I hear people sometimes flippantly talk about God and they'll say, well, the God of the Bible, boy, there's no love there. He's obviously an angry God and a God of wrath. Does God have wrath? You bet over sin and rebellion and so on. His heart is broken by that. But the picture I get in Scripture, both Old and New Testament, of the compassion and love of God is absolutely staggering. God told King Hezekiah, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. God was responding to Hezekiah's prayers because he cared. He sees every single tear. The psalmist writes in Psalm 56, record my lament, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? You see, that's suggesting that not only does God know what you're going through, friend, and this is so cool, he literally has a record of every tear you've cried about that. How can he do that, you say? Because he's omniscient. He knows it, he sees it, and he 
cares about you. Now, parents, those of you who are parents listening to me right now, you know how you hate for your children to hurt, and you hate to see them cry, right? So you want to you want to comfort them when they cry. You want to dry those tears up. But here's the thing. You realize that it's not always the wisest thing for you as a parent just to keep them from all hurt and all pain in life, right? If that was your goal, you would never let them try out for football or gymnastics and you would certainly never let them date, right? And you'd certainly never let them learn to ride a two-wheel bicycle because you know when you attempt some of these things, there's gonna be bruises and scrapes and pain. You know that's gonna happen. And so why do you let them do it? Why do you let them try some of these things? Because you know it's not ultimately the wisest to protect them from every hurt. They're going to grow through that pain. They're going to learn valuable life lessons. And God as a loving father is not going to exempt us from all pain and sorrow. I want you to get that deep in your soul today, friend. Any religion that doesn't have a theology for suffering is a bankrupt religion. And Christianity... is a view of God that understands suffering and understands that there's a caring father who loves us no matter how bad we're hurting. So if you're hurting today, I just want to say this word, please don't pull away from God. Draw near to him when you're hurting because he's close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit, Psalm 34 says. In fact, Jesus himself said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that promise is for you. But as we move on here, we see in verse 14, then Jesus went up and touched the coffin. Now, this coffin is more like what we would call a stretcher today. It's kind of open. It's not closed in. Their coffins were really stretchers. And so you can see the body there on this stretcher-like coffin. And those carrying it, verse 14 says, those carrying it stood still. Now, by the way, Jesus kind of interrupted every funeral he ever attended. (laughs) By the way, in this culture, according to the law, anyone who touched a dead body became unclean. And yet Jesus boldly goes up and touches this stretcher, this coffin, and those carrying it stood still. Jesus was a stranger to them, but there was something about his demeanor that just communicated authority, love, and respect. He went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still, and he said, young man, young man, I say to you, get up. You know what I'm intrigued by? There are three stories in Scripture where Jesus raised someone from the dead during his ministry. One of them is recorded in Mark chapter 5, Jairus' daughter, where Jesus 
goes up and takes her by the hand and he says, Talitha kum, little girl, I say to you, arise or get up. And the Bible says this 12-year-old girl got up and began to walk around and everybody was astonished. That's one of those occasions where Jesus raised someone. A second one is in John chapter 11 where Jesus stood before the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead for four days. And Jesus stood before the tomb. And it says in John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept because he deeply cared for Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And then Jesus prayed a prayer before that tomb. And then Jesus said in what I believe was a loud commanding voice, Lazarus, come forth. One preacher said if he hadn't specified Lazarus, every dead man in that cemetery would have come forth. It's interesting that in each of these cases, Jesus is specific. He specifies to the little girl and to Lazarus. And in the third example, he's very specific to the young man that we're reading about today. And the Bible says that Lazarus came out of that tomb bound in those grave clothes. And Jesus said, loose him and let him Go And then in today's passage, again, very specific. Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows what you're going through. And Jesus has the power and authority to make a difference. In fact, can I tell you something that if you're not familiar with the Christian message, this may shock you a little bit. Did you know one day the Lord is going to come back just like he stood in front of Lazarus' tomb and gave a loud command? One day he's going to come back with a loud command, with a shout, and all who are dead are going to rise. Did you know that? Listen to this verse in 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. How about John 5? It says, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. He has the authority to command the dead to come to life. And don't you know he has the authority and the power to make a difference in your life too? What a savior. Verse 15 says, the dead man sat up and began to talk. Oh, I wonder what he said. He say, Mom, I'm hungry. <laughs> if, was, if he was a teenager, he was hungry, I think. Did he say, Mom, why are all these people here? Why am I on this stretcher? What's going on here? Did he wonder where he had been for the last 24 hours? Was he curious? I wonder what he said when he talked. But verse 15 goes on to say, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. What an amazing miracle of restoration. Can I tell you something I know about Jesus Christ and what he loves to do? He loves to restore relationships. 
Now, humanly speaking, that's not always possible because you can't unscramble eggs and relationships get very messy and all that. But one of the things Jesus loves to do is restore relationships and bring people together. And here, can't you imagine this mom elated with joy? Her son who was dead is now alive again. Can't you imagine how she embraces and rejoices with her son? And I believe, I believe that's simply a foretaste of what we will experience in heaven with those that we've loved and lost. You know, when I think back over the years, I think that perhaps the longest I can recall being away from my family, from Deb and the kids, was about a week at a time. And can I tell you, that reunion, when I came back after being away with these people that I love like life itself, it was special. I remember getting off an airplane, this is before 9-11, and going through that tunnel and immediately beginning to look for their faces waiting there at the gate. And it was so exciting to get off that plane, go through that tunnel, break out into that terminal area and see their faces smiling and embrace and be restored and united again. Imagine the reception in heaven Imagine the reception in heaven when you are restored and reunited with loved ones who've gone before. When you go through that tunnel of death and enter that heavenly home and the Lord greets you and he gives you back to your loved ones. Oh, that will be heaven indeed. I grew up as a boy singing a song with these lyrics. Friends will be there I have loved long ago. And joy like a river around me will flow. Yet just a smile from my Savior I know. Oh, that will be glory. That will be glory for me. But I want you to see now quickly this crowd's excited reaction to what Jesus has done. It says they were filled with awe and praised God. People from both groups. The party group that's celebrating and the funeral procession. All of them together are praising God. They'd heard stories about Elijah and Elisha raising people from the dead, and now they've seen it with their own eyes. They said, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. They knew, even though they didn't know fully who Jesus was yet, in all of his deity and all of his design and mission, they knew that only God could raise the dead, so they knew that somehow God was in their midst. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Jesus is such a unique friend because he gives us comfort and hope when we're hurting. Perhaps my favorite Christian hymn, as great as thy faithfulness. And I love all the lines, but this one line always gets me. This one line always chokes me up whenever I'm singing, great is thy faithfulness. It just cuts me to my soul because it describes what I've experienced in my Christian walk. Here's what it says. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Do you have that? Do you have that over here in this area? 
You back here in the back, you down in the front area right here, you over here on this side, do you have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow? That's what Jesus Christ has brought into my life. Romans 8 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Revelation 21.4 speaks of that day when we're reunited with our loved ones who are in Christ. And it says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. How I long, how I long for that day. Dr. Alan Meenan was a professor at Asbury Seminary and he imagines twins talking to each other in the womb. Imagine that, twins in the womb and they're carrying on this conversation. And one said to the other, isn't it wonderful to be alive? What a great thing the gift of life is. And they began to explore their world in the womb and they found their mother's cord and they sang with joy. How great is our mother's love that she shares her own life with us. Well, for these two little infants in the, in the womb, these two little babies, these twins, weeks begin to pass by. And the twins notice that they were changing. What does this mean, asked the one. It means that our stay in this world is drawing to a close, said the other. But I don't want to go, said the first. I want to stay here always. We have no choice, said the other. But maybe there's life after birth. Hmm? Life after birth. But how can that be, responded the first. Will we shed our life's cord? How's life possible without it? Besides, we've seen evidence there were others here before us and they never came back to tell us that there was life after birth. No, 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 this is the end. And so the one fell into deep despair and said, if conception ends in birth, what's the purpose of life in the womb? It's meaningless. Maybe there's no mother after all. But there has to be, protested the other. However, did we get here in the first place? And how are we still kept alive? Have you ever seen our mother, questioned the first? Maybe she lives only in our minds. Maybe we made up the idea thinking it would make us feel good. So the last days in the womb were filled with, filled with deep questioning and fear. And finally the moment of birth arrived. And when the twins had passed from their world, they opened their eyes and they cried. For what they saw exceeded their wildest dreams. Friend, can I tell you something? When you are born, you cry, and everyone else rejoices. But when you die, everyone else cries, and you rejoice. Because it'll be beyond your wildest dreams. I close today with this summary from Warren Wearsby, a great commentator. He said, four special things took place at the city gate that day. Two crowds met. Jesus was heading for the city while the mourners were heading for the cemetery. 
And spiritually speaking, each of us is one of those two crowds. If you've trusted Christ, you're going to a city whose builder and maker is God. If you're dead in sin, you're already in the cemetery. But you need to trust Christ and be raised from the dead. Two only sons met. One alive, destined to die. The other dead, destined to live. Two sufferers met. The man of sorrows could easily identify with the widow's heartache. Jesus felt the pain that sin and death have brought into the world, and he did something about it. And then two enemies met. Two enemies. As Jesus faced death, the last enemy to be destroyed, Jesus had only to speak the word, and the boy was raised to life. Oh, friend, I don't need to remind you that we live in a world where there's a lot of pain, a lot of grief. And some of you are experiencing that very, very personally today. I want you to know Jesus Christ is a friend to the grieving. He brings strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. He brings meaning to life. And he brings joy where there is hopelessness. Go to Jesus today. Embrace him as your Lord and Savior. Thank you so much for this powerful story. Thank you that Jesus is a caring friend when we grieve. And I'm so so concerned today about those who are feeling overwhelmed, really, because of the hurt, because of the pain, because of the loss of something in their life that they dearly treasured. God, would you be so real to them right now? Would you show them that you want to give them strength for today and you want their tomorrows to be filled with hope and great joy? And I pray that today your presence would be more real than ever. In Jesus' name, amen.